Hey, hey, Thunder buddies and travellers down Thunder Road, welcome back to Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway. I am your cartographer, charting the journey down Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my ever-faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you, Dave? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. We got some cool news to kick off the show. Um, as this is Days of Thunder's debut on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Uh, I'm really excited about this move, Lee. Uh, We've kind of been putting this deal together the last uh, couple of weeks, talking behind the scenes Mm -hmm. with Tom and the gang from Pro Wrestling Only. Um, It it feels like, uh, before we kind of get into you know, uh, our show and, and, and even what uh, Pro Wrestling Only do, it, it really feels like a good home for us here at Days of Thunder, I think. Oh yeah, I, I think PWO is absolutely the perfect fit, or Days of Thunder is the perfect fit for PWO, if you will. Um, the guys, they, they love their history of wrestling and shows like us, like Through the Years, like Greetings from Allentown, I mean, I, I just think we fit perfectly within that scope. Yeah, so you can check them out at ProWrestlingOnly.com. Um, they've also got for- pretty active forums on there. A uh, lot of podcasts, uh, as Lee just mentioned, on the website as well. Um, <clears throat> just a quick up the top for uh, Days of Thunder listeners, regular listeners to this point. Uh, what does that mean for you? Not a whole lot, really. If you're subscribed to us on whatever podcast platform, we will still be broadcasting from this feed every two weeks as normal. We will just also be available on the Pro Wrestling Only podcast feed, at which point I would like to say hello to all our first-time listeners coming over from Pro Wrestling Only. We're happy to have new Thunder Buddies here with us, and we hope you will enjoy, or at least survive, the journey down Thunder (laughs) Road with us uh, as we continue on. It is an arduous journey. It is, and and just as uh, by means of introducing ourselves to our new listeners, um, so Days of Thunder, as I said at the top, is uh, a WCW Thunder rewatch podcast. Every two weeks, myself and Lee will drop an episode looking back at an episode of Thunder, or in the case of this episode, a WCW pay-per-view, uh, and our real goal is to see how much better or worse WCW was during its boom and decline uh, if you just pay attention to Thunder and completely ignore the context of nitro um we have in our podcast feed already um a few episodes and a pay-per-view already done so this is our our second pay-per-view edition we we started with the very first thunder back in january and here we are now going into into super brawl eight uh have i missed anything there lee that the the new listeners need to be aware of for us and i don't think so i mean I think we have a couple of in-jokes already established at this stage, so if you're a little bit lost, don't worry. Nothing makes sense, really. Yeah. There's, pl- <laughs> there's plenty of top-tier content to go back on, is what Lee's actually trying to say. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if it, you know, if, if you're confused by something we're saying, uh, don't don't worry, because we are too an awful lot of the time. We're just all going to try and do our best here. But, uh, yeah, just a sincere thank you to the crew from Pro Wrestling Only for, for having us on board. We're delighted to be here, and hopefully it's the start of a very long and fruitful partnership. Um, or at least until yeah. I get us kicked off the network. Yeah, until our, our slander uh, reaches hitherto unseen heights on the program. Uh, anyway, shall we kick things off, my friend? Let's get started on Super Bowl. This is Super Brawl 8 coming to you from the Cow Palace 
a famous pro wrestling venue in Daly City, California. Um, and I, I, our, yeah, one of, one of, if not our first proper iconic wrestling venues on Thunder Road. I think it is, yeah. I mean, it's definitely the uh, the biggest venue, I think, so far that uh, we've seen. And I have to, I have to say, this crowd was amazing pretty much all night long. Raucous, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, this pay-per-view was broadcast February 22nd, 1998. Um, as I said, it's the second pay-per-view on, uh, on, on Thunder Road here. And our, our main event, the, 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 the match that was talking them in the door, Lee, was the uh, supposed biggest rematch in the history of our sport, Sting and Hulk Hogan for the WCW World's Heavyweight Championship. Um uh, yeah, how how were you, how were your hype levels coming into this pay per view? I suppose that's a good place to start. I was I was looking forward to it. I was looking forward yeah. to us finally having an established champion for the first time in the, in this podcast. Yeah, uh, I mean to go two months without a champion is pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, um, but finally we're going to get a clean, decisive winner between Hogan and Sting, and we will have an undisputed WCW slash NWO world heavyweight champion indeed before we start to run down the show um another thing that we've started doing the last couple of weeks because about two or three weeks ago um this show broke us uh, <laughs> and and now we need to subsist on a, an adult beverage or two as we enjoy uh our, our wcw lee what do you have your uh, super brawl eight paired with this evening i i'm kind of following in your footsteps on this one i've got a rock show <laughs> Oh hello! Yeah, well, after my my ringing endorsement, I should say I have a pair of rock shores. Um, yeah, oh, beautiful beer, beautiful. Yeah, Lo- lovely, refreshing mm-hmm. from the, the the fine people at Guinness. Um, I this evening I'm going with a Blue Moon Belgian White. Um, I have I, ha- I have gone on record on this program as saying as I'm a fan of ales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am an alesman, so uh, I have gone with Blue Moon, which is one that was. Uh, it's kind of a, it's it's here and there dotted all over the place here in Ireland, and it's gotten quite popular. But I think I had my first one ever about a week ago. Quite enjoyed it, so I said I'm going to bring this to the podcast. I don't like the overtones of uh, Manchester City. In the name, <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. With the exception of that, though, it's a, it's a fine beverage, I must say. Almost in spite of the the city association, <laughs> um, we are starting off with a video package. Not quite. It, it was moody enough, but not quite the uh, the gothic horror thriller video package that we got at the start of Snickers sold out last month. Um. Ha- hyping up this Hogan Sting great rematch. Uh, the only thing really notable for me in this video package uh, was Sting being referred to as, I believe, the Vindicator of the Sky. Yeah, it was a bit weird. <laughs> I'd, like if... they, they said there had been a great darkness fall over WCW and Sting was somehow the light and yet he lives in the shadows. Mm. It felt like, so it would have been around this time that... um. WWF were doing a lot of the the blasty video packages mm-hmm. and the real kind of uh, real pompous, melodramatic. Now I say that, but I did love them, and I do still kind of love those packages. But they were it, they were a little much, you know. Um, 
and it feel this feels like a Saturday Night Live parody of that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that i think what they're actually trying to do is just ape it and do a better version of it but what they've done is kind of almost make fun of it because it's not it's not nearly as good as the 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 pompous wwf ones in my humble opinion i think the best thing you can say is they've done a wcw version of it and that's that's pretty much all you can say about it (laughs) that's yeah it does what it says on the tin there our commentary team for tonight uh tony shivani uh my iron mike tonight and uh, bobby the brain heenan uh probably the the strongest trio available on the the commentary roster Mm -hmm. and i think at this stage the the regular pay-per-view uh commentary booth uh Tanae suspects that tonight will answer a lot of questions about the wcw and nwo and i suspect lee that he will be disappointed what's he done yeah well this is the thing this is uh like the man who could not solve what had happened uh in a confrontation that was happening directly beside him on thunder last week between lex and savage when the nwo attacked him he spent two hours trying to get to the bottom of something that happened directly beside him and failed well it wasn't Uh, it wasn't just two hours because it happened a couple of hours before the show started that's true it had already (laughs) happened and yeah that's puzzling to say the least so you know i i admire private investigator mike today's efforts but i i don't have a huge amount of faith in it um as you said the the crowd hot all night raucous really in good spirits and there's something about the 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 entrance setup that i really liked here in the cow palace it felt big time i have the same thing i loved this entrance setup it just it, it just felt um grandiose it, it just yeah it felt like some it, an important show was happening right now like um mm. i love the way they kind of walk to the sides as soon as they come out from yeah. the entranceway and then they have mm. a lot of pyro going off as is wcw um the way they operate basically <laughs> again another thing that feels a bit aped from some of the wwf pay-per-views that mm-hmm. took place in arenas where the 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 actual entrance area was kind of kinked off to the side and there was yeah they would kind of walk down a little and turn but something that the wwf didn't often have was the additional screens with the names of the person coming out Mm -hmm. which felt like big time it reminded me very much actually of obviously a lot smaller the cow palace but uh of the the royal rumble this year i was just about Um, to say that it was very similar to the this year's royal rumble with the, the video boards at kind of head height yeah yeah um really good look yeah, added to the, the feel of things. Uh, we're starting off hot here, uh, in a manner of speaking. Booker T, uh, with his Iron Man performance on this show. Uh, let's go first to Booker T versus Rick Martel. Um, the belt is on the line, um, and we are told if Booker T uh, is to win here, that you know the winner of this match goes on to face Perry Saturn. It was kind of unclear on the go home thunder whether it was just if booker t won he'd face saturn or the winner of the match regardless would face saturn but uh penzer helpfully informs us on the way uh, as booker is on the way to the ring that the winner will face uh saturn regardless um booker t absolutely beloved here in california people raising the roof because that was still a cool thing to do <laughs> in 1998 but like people are going absolutely bananas for him and it, it also that that helped me really enjoy this this entrance ramp because 
the the other good part of it is that as they turn to come down towards the hard cam towards the ring you can see like rows upon rows of fans just going crazy for the people coming out so yeah really like that yeah um like you say but like we've said it in the past couple of weeks booker around this time was just i mean behind sting and probably ddp i think booker was like the number three baby face at this point I would find it very hard to disagree with you on that. Yeah, that's for sure. So he comes out. Uh, Rick Martel out. Now, we talked about how uh, Martel at this point has clearly slowed down a step, isn't the uh, the athlete he used to be. Can still hold his own, for sure. And mm-hmm. this match absolutely starts off hot. People are going crazy for everything Booker is doing. There's one point, like, a couple of seconds into this match where Booker just throws a jab with his right hand and people lose their reason. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really fucking excited. Uh, I, 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 was, I was a bit surprised right. that uh, Martel got some bills on the way up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think not really for want of because he's not kind of being overtly a dick on television. Mm-hmm. I think this is just down to Booker's our guy, so fuck you. Yeah, you and I, I'd have to say Martel did lean into it in the, ma- in the match. He he was a yeah. lot more heelish than we have seen previously. Yeah, because he had been the babyface in his little kind of tete-a-tete with the flock mm-hmm. um, on television. And speaking of the flock, this is kind of my, my major criticism of the first match here, uh, and that is the fact that a couple of minutes in, while this match is hot, while people are, are, are really, really getting into it, the flock come out and sit just off to the left of the hard cam, mm-hmm. and the crowd just gets instantly taken out of the match. Um, huge, huge portions of the crowd are just focusing on what the flock are doing and not focusing on the ring and I, I really feel bad for Martel and Booker who really had had the crowd in the palm of their hands to that point yeah it was a weird, it's always a bit weird to have like you know stars of the show sitting in with the audience because they're always kind of watching to see if they're doing anything if they're reacting are they going to jump the rail are they going to get involved yeah. It it's a weird one but I mean it, don't get me wrong it's the flock's gimmick that's what they do yeah, look, it's it's an established thing, and in some ways, it is an interesting thing. Like, it is part of their character, and I, and I get that. Um, it's just a bit disappointing, and it, it took me out of the match as well because not only are people kind of not paying attention to the match and not really reacting in the way they should, and kind of softening the the wider reaction in the arena to, to the in ring action, but as well as that them being distracted makes me distracted where I'm just like what the, what the fuck are they looking at like are mm. they are the flock actually doing anything you know uh, and they weren't really they were kind of just sitting there what, um, what did you think of uh, Lodi's message on his back what what was it I kept trying to, to catch what it said and I missed it Mars needs women <laughs> I'm not sure how Snickers will feel about this Mars endorsement but you know was this because was this around the time that that like self-help book men are from mars women are from venus popular is that what he's referencing there come on dave i'm not that old yeah this is i like i seem to remember that being a i don't remember the book i never read the book but i remember like a lot of 90s sitcoms would make jokes about the book so that's why i I assume it must have been uh quite popular in 1998 um but yeah anyway um the the match was decent back and forth kind of action um booker won with a harlem sidekick off the top rope um which looked really good yeah did um, you? um martel jumped into the sidekick and um 
I did like that the commentary kind of put over Booker as inexperienced as a singles guy. And yeah. and really like pushed that Martel with his experience could beat Booker at any moment. Yeah. Um the commentary it's gotta be said, uh I think they did a sterling job tonight. Yeah. Uh, throughout. Um some of the, the kind of more story laden kind of bullshitty angles like NWO stuff later on, you know, there's only so much they can do to polish a turd on that one. Um but some of the matches and I did I do have a lot of this down in my notes some of the matches where they actually just start explaining the match and the story of the mm-hmm. match is exactly what I want from pro wrestling commentary I was in fucking commentary heaven for a lot of this yeah I, I thought they were perfect all night long um, I'm gonna be really annoyed when this commentary starts going downhill I think that's gonna be the, <laughs> the real sign for us when things are getting bad because oh boy because did yeah. this really like maybe it's just been so used to crappy wwe 2019 commentary yeah. but this is the way a three-man boot should work yeah and we had a grim look into the future of commentary later on but we will we'll get to that um as booker wins saturn immediately runs in and jumps him and we have the start of our second match uh perry saturn versus booker t really really liked um this kind of like him ju- him jumping Booker immediately at the bell works so well mm-hmm. for that kind of what they're trying to do with the flock and with Saturn it makes so much sense and the kind of it it added to the you know this was the the time of car crash TV and not being able to predict things and swerves left right and center but this was the kind of like sudden bit of action and jolt of energy that you weren't necessarily expecting but as soon as he jumped him and the bell rang you're like this makes complete sense oh yeah like it's that kind of like oh the bell rings you think you're gonna get a celebration and Booker will come back you know an hour later still a bit tired but ready to go and yet Saturn is because that's the advantage of him being right there at ringside he straight away jumps him straight into the rings of Saturn straight into a series of roll ups like Saturn is desperate to become TV champion and it, yeah. it sets up perfectly the story of Booker fighting from underneath Yeah, which is exactly um, what they want to establish you know Booker as this guy that never gives up and hmm. Um, I I thought this match was fabulous. Mm-hmm. I, I I really fucking love this match. I, like as a two parter, this is this is not to discredit um, Martel's efforts in the first match. I I thought this whole segment, shall we say, um, was absolutely fantastic. Um, so as you said, yeah, he he jumps Booker and immediately tries the rings, tries to finish him. Uh, as quickly as possible then tries to beat him down there's a bit of kind of a walking brawl going on um it's funny they go to the outside and booker is attempting to as you say like saturn has the upper hand and the commentary the commentators are selling like he's already been through a 10 or 15 minute match here he has got not got a lot left in the tank and they had already been selling as you said how he's kind of relatively inexperienced so you're going i don't know how booker's gonna get out of this one Mm. so saturn would beat him down and beat him down and beat him down and then he'd maybe fire up once or twice and then get put down again so they're on the outside i know it was during this point when they were kind of walking brawl outside that there were ecw chants going I didn't notice them, uh, which was very str- like California. I I was I would not have expected, but I I, I am certain I heard ECW chants just for a few seconds. W- here. One thing I did notice though was a guy in the front row on the hard camera side had a briefcase yeah. with him. It looked like a, a silver briefcase. Was he going to cash in? And it had stickers on it. So I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, is this some kind of hitman that let his kids? you know decorate his briefcase to you know seem inconspicuous 
It's one of those like Halliburton briefcases. Yeah, it like. was. It was very weird. <laughs> but you know, this That's, is nineteen ninety eight, San Francisco. Yeah. So who knows? It, yeah, it's a, it's a time traveling money in the bank winner. <laughs> clearly, the fucking Titor conglomerate man. <laughs> um. um so yeah, there's a point out here uh, where Booker kind of fires up a whip Saturn straight into the fencing on the outside, but uh, Booker quite like just fan- like a bit of fantastic selling. Just he's too exhausted to capitalize. He just had enough energy to throw Saturn into the barricade, but no more mm. than that for the time being, uh, which was great. Um, the, the story to this match, as I said, is simple but good. Saturn is trying as quickly and as as efficiently as possible to finish Booker, and Booker only just has enough energy to fight him off, but not to take an advantage. Um, Saturn <laughs> Saturn hit a spring uh, like a flying crossbody to the outside, and this is as close to a shoot crossbody as I have ever heard. <laughs> Do you hear the fucking slap the, off the, this crossbody? Good, yeah. This is like a proper, he goes to hit the crossbody, and normally, like, it seems like a real cushioned fall to the ground, but he hits his crossbody, and you just hear a... Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt bad for Booker on that one, like, what, 20 minutes into two matches? Yeah, and he has yeah. the full weight of Perry Saturn landing on him, like, from a couple of feet high. So here's another thing I really loved about the commentary tonight. Even despicable heels like Perry Saturn who who jump Booker at the bell um, and start beating him down and trying to finish him efficiently. Um, even though that's kind of cynical and unsportsmanlike, they're still putting over what a tremendous competitor Perry Saturn is in his own right. Mm-hmm. They talk about his strength of character, reminding people that he came back from what should have been a career-ending knee injury last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was awesome because you're getting a little bit more into the the Perry Saturn narrative there. They're not, they're not kind of doing this shades of gray stuff where like he's he's you know he's not a bad guy, he's not a good guy. He's definitely still a bad guy, but it's kind of like he's a bad guy, but you respect him as a tough bastard, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that we found in the the couple of shows we watched that. They've been fairly consistent that the flock are actually good wrestlers. Mm. It's just they're being led astray by Raven, and nobody can quite understand why. Yeah, could could you imagine if this if they tried to do a flock type stable on Raw in twenty nineteen? Isn't that what Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley, and Drew McIntyre? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> They'd be ending up in those kind of like terrible comedy skits, like the poor revival are at the moment, with like the itching powder yeah, and shit like that. Just like somebody had given, forced them into a shower or something. Or ah, oh, good holy Christ! Um, um, I did. I did. Did you notice uh, Booker did the Laparka bump in the corner? He did. Yeah, my like my favorite bump uh, that that keeps getting taken on Thunder. I love it. Yeah, uh, proper. And uh, Bobby was like about to say something about a bump, and he corrects himself. Yeah, and says, um, "Oh, where is it? I have it written down." Yeah, he says it's instead of saying bump, he says fall. And I just thought yeah. that that's brilliant. Heenan, like, just instead of using an insider term, just corrects himself to sound like to 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 give the layman's term, shall we say, instead of giving away the workers' term. Yeah, he's. I'll tell you what. This is still at the point where like brain is quicker than a hiccup. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a point at which in the closing stretch of this match Booker attempts to do his rebound crossbody off the top rope like he does the step up spring back mm-hmm. crossbody uh, and as he's trying to do it quickly he loses his footing uh, and without missing a beat 
uh, Heenan is explaining that it's just down to exhaustion. The guy's been out here nearly half an hour at this stage, and he's just got nothing left. He tried to go for everything and got nothing, which was just a real, like a real professional way to cover up on what was obviously just kind of a slip in in the footwork mm-hmm. there. I'll tell you what. Booker hits one hell of a missile drop kick off the top rope in this match. Every time Booker hits a missile drop kick, oh, oh. I miss that middle, like just a proper missile drop kick. That yeah, it looks so good. It's one of those things where we kind of um, we've gotten away from the the simple but unbelievably well executed spot in a match. Like people freak the hell out, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. about the Okada drop kick of of legend. Uh, about what an unbelievable dropkick he hits. But, you know, for the most part, the the kind of fundamental spots like that, people aren't that concerned nowadays about hitting really good-looking mm. versions of them. Like, fucking Bob Holly used to hit a sweet-ass dropkick all the time. I'm pretty sure he used it as a finish for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, not like... It, a g- Randy Orton hits a fucker of a dropkick yeah, as well. A good looking dropkick is just, it's just one of them things you just go, you know, the whole chef kiss, mwah. It's just yeah. beautiful, you know? Just crisp. Yeah. Like, re- really, really like that shit. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, and there's a bit later on in one of the matches to come later in the show where, again, just simple little things that you don't see anymore. And I'll get to it when we get to the match, but yeah. Mm. No, just you saying simple little things just reminded me. Yeah, Shivani gets word from the back that uh, Martel has torn his MCL in that first match. Uh, a, a rough injury, to say the least. Speaking as somebody who mm. tore an ACL uh, once, uh, and I know from my kind of uh, following of sport that MCLs are no laughing matter either. Um, that would be the end of Rick Martel's career, basically. Yeah. It's such a shame because, like, he didn't do anything. It's one of those things, as I think we mentioned in the program before, you could be doing the simplest things in wrestling, and that's when you get the career-ending injuries. Um, You know, there are people who will do unbelievably outrageous stunts. Um, Like, Joey Janela is a great example. Like, the amount of crazy shit he's done in his career, and it was a very, very simple move off the top rope that he did his leg in last year. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, like, if Martel had that injury going into the match and then put yeah. on such a good match with Booker, I mean, you have to commend him for it. And if he did suffer the injury in the match and still finished it, again, you have to commend him for getting through it, you know? Yeah. What's the stupidest injury you've ever gotten? <sighs> oh, God. Uh... <laughs> was that an, oh, God, you have loads to choose from? Or an, oh, God, you don't know if you want to disclose how stupid it was? <laughs> Uh, I think I busted my nose walking into a glass door once. That that's probably the stupidest thing I've done. It was actually a shop door. It wasn't even one at home where I could hide. It was like down in the shops, and uh, turning to talk to somebody, one. thinking the door was in front of me. But yeah, yeah. I, I haven't suffered many injuries, so I'm kind of lucky in that sense. Touch wood. I saw I saw a guy in my class. We were on the way to a cinema trip in school, and he broke his nose off a stop sign. Oof. But then, like he like he walked into it full pelt. Um, and then on the way down, like he kind of like staggered and fell and basically took a bump into a car on the way down. Oh, and like once we realized he was okay, it was the funniest thing that had ever happened. Um, but I, my, I suppose my most comedic and probably the most serious injury I ever had in my life, and still to this day I suffer from it. Um, 
I was on a trampoline mm. about a week before my junior cert, which is this exam that you take when you're about 15 or 16 in, in Ireland in what would be the end of middle school in the States, I guess. Um, and yeah, I was on a trampoline and I decided to try and bounce really quickly, like while everybody was mid bounce, I was trying to get an additional bounce and the entire force of the trampoline came up through my leg snapped my kneecap in half and tore my ACL off the bone oh. uh, yeah uh, and that was like three or four months of, of rehab before I could even walk on it Jesus uh, and yeah it ended it like I had a football career to speak of like I was I was going I was I was, go, I was going to be playing for the the school team the following year but I I I, I can't play football anymore since because of that it's the same injury pretty much that ended Roy Keane's career the the cruciate injury um fuck that's bad yeah still have loose cartilage floating around in there to this day it's uh, it's good times good times uh, um, I mean that, that that puts to shame me like breaking my nose the day before I go on holiday but like <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah if there like if there is a an embarrassing yourself story i definitely like i'm, I'm up there in that one jesus christ i was it, the worst part about it was that i was in the middle of a babysitting gig when it happened oh no yeah for my cousins so i ended up having to like um like strap up my knee for the night because it's like the parents are away i can't just oh i've got to go to the hospital now small children you stay here um, that had to, so that had to be up, a pretty bad night Oh yeah, like I literally when I got to A and E the following day, they had to cut me out of my trousers because that's how much it had swollen up. Oh no! Yeah, it was a bad time. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> actually, not to derail even further, but the best part of the whole thing was that my my granddad uh, brought me, or no, he came to sit with me in the waiting room before I got uh, I I got brought in for the X ray and stuff like that. And my grandmother was traveling in Scotland at the time, and he rang her did not he didn't know that she had no idea that anything had happened to me and he opened the phone call with so yeah david's been here in the hospital for five hours now and you know they haven't seen him yet and he looks (laughs) awful and stuff like that and then kind of just hung up on her oh no (laughs) without giving any further context like he wasn't trying to like you know he wasn't trying to be you know have a joke or anything like that with her he just is he he assumed she knew yeah 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 and then just kind of hung up on her because i think the doctor came in or something like that and apparently like my my grandmother nearly passed out at the dinner table oh god <laughs> yeah anyway back to the match i guess um well booker won <laughs> yeah so booker uh booker is exhausted uh saturn is just kind of throwing him about with different suplexes that look really sick and then out of nowhere um sidekick it's over as a kind of double bill this was awesome this is an mvp performance from booker t i think he was out here for just over half an hour or just in around half an hour uh, between the two matches and the entrances and um what a start to the pay-per-view i really really like this yeah that that's a real hot opener to, um really established booker as the fans you know the fact he's one of their guys you know and that uh he's not a guy to be taken lightly i think going forward hmm uh, for sure, uh, we go backstage then, and I'm pretty sure this is, is this the only time we go backstage all night. Yeah, don't, I don't think there was any more. 
That's considering what this company would become. That's incredible. Well, th- a three-hour broadcast, and they go backstage once. This was a really good pay-per-view. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I really enjoyed this. So, yeah, I mean, I don't. I really don't think there was many. I don't think there actually was any more cutbacks. No, I think this was it, and it wasn't until like the very end of the show that it was like, oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is. <laughs> Tony had what I I want to give this the line of the night. We don't have an award for line of the night, but if there was one, it would be Tony Schiavone as the segue to go from Booker celebrating to this segment Mm -hmm. says, we're going to go backstage as I understand it and see what's up with the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was quite, quite Um, the 1998 line. um, So it's, it's Jericho sitting backstage in the WCW.com room uh, with Staggerly and a first and unfortunately not last sighting of Mark Madden. Yeah. <sighs> now, this was a, a while before the rise of the uh, TV's best looking big man character he would go on to per- portray. Um, and thankfully, his commentary tenure was kept, I, I, if I recall correctly, almost exclusively to Nitro. Oh, thank God. Uh, as far as I know because around the time if I remember rightly from when I'm a child and again we don't look up context on Mm -hmm. the show if I remember rightly from when I was a child when he was on commentary on Nitro we had Scott Hudson and Stevie Ray (laughs) on on Thunder as the second and third men on the booth and I'll tell you what uh, that's a slight improvement you know like if I I have to pick you gun to my head and pick a bad commentator from WCW I'm having Stevie Ray Mm -hmm all day yeah, no. uh, before I'll have Mark Madden Madden was not good and I'm glad to hear that he probably won't be on night or on Thunder too much yeah um, so yeah Jericho's back here not much to remark about this little because it, it, this segment is, is over as soon as it started um, except to say one Jericho wearing the belt obviously uh, <laughs> and two this room was uncomfortably small. Did you notice how close Mark Madden and Stagger Lee are sitting to Jericho in this? Oh, they were like literally sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're on top of him. Like it was <laughs> sharing the was... sharing the one laptop. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. It's so like they're trying to seem. Oh, hey, we're we're cool with the internet. We're doing web chats and stuff like that. But like just something as simple as how close they were sitting together and how small the room seemed just made it look really fucking rinky dink. I, I wonder if anyone listening to the show actually listened to any of those WCW like live on WCW. Um, what, what was it? Was it AOL or? Yeah, something like that. If you were, please do. And if you have any thoughts on on either shows we have covered, have yet to cover, or are currently covering on this program, um, please do drop us a line at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter. We really do like hearing back um, about what people mm-hmm. thought of shows or, or, or anything like that. But yeah, I would like to have illuminated for me what some of these web chats were like. Uh, I know there are a lot of kind of transcripts of some of the WWF ones from back in the day. Like there's a couple with Vince where he says all sorts of fucking wild things that people have transcripts of. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are transcripts of some of the WCW ones knocking about. But we move to our next contest, uh, pitting La Parca, WCW's chairman, versus the Disco Inferno, Lee's favorite wrestler. Um, hang on, hang on. I don't mind disco. <laughs> yeah, well, that that makes one of us. <laughs> it's you that dislikes him. You're no, you're the one that got intensely so that got told to lay off disco. You know, not me. Yeah, 
you know what i never will <laughs> i will never retire this gimmick uh um, we we did note that uh in a couple of is it a couple of weeks from now uh disco inferno is going to take on ireland's own martina Seshima. yeah i know yeah i'm not watching that We're, much we are, i told you we this. are watching that much I watched Arquette and Thatcher for this podcast. <laughs> I will not sink below that. The gold standard has been set for WCW alumnus. Um, we we, unless... we will watch this match. I'll tell you what, though. If Disco wrestled Thatcher, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely there for Big Timo stretching out Disco. Uh... Uh, fuck, how is Glenn Gilberti a thing in 2019? <laughs> for fuck's sake, like... I, I'm like it's genuinely upsetting to me. <laughs> Impact Wrestling's Glenn, Bil- Glenn Gilberti, get that right. Oh my giddy aunt, fuck this! Do, do, um, do, do you know who he's gone into a feud with on in Impact? I know he was in a feud with Scarlet Bordeaux. Okay. Is that still there, ongoing? Or there's a maybe maybe spoiler alert for the tapings, but uh, Glenn Gilberti is in a feud with Tessa Blanchard. Oh, he's just doing the. Like I wrestle women gimmick, pretty much. <sighs> you know, it's probably going to lead to Jordan Grace murdering him, which I'm fine with, I guess. Um, but it's not nearly that. Look, I I have pitched for our local promotion OTT the idea of uh, excellent clown of a man Charlie Sterling running with the gender neutral title mm-hmm. before getting an absolute whooping off Jordan Grace um, I'd much prefer to see someone like him in that slot than Glenn Gilberti but whatever um, as Disco is coming to the ring an incredible line that really it's so it highlights what a weird hodgepodge of people from around the world of wrestling WCW was in 1998 because they explain that the problems between Disco Inferno and La Parca, which is a very strange thing to say in and of itself uh, have gotten really heated in a short period of time and all appear to revolve around Yuji Nagata yeah that like when (laughs) again this must be Nitro because we've seen Yuji Nagata once on Thunder and that was getting squashed by Goldberg wasn't it no that was the martial arts match yeah, yeah, the martial arts division match, and we haven't seen him interact with either of these men mm, on Thunder. Yeah, that, uh, that, so I think that's one of the first glaring <laughs> uh, things we've missed out on from just looking at Thunder. And I think Leparka and Disco have had what one interaction on Thunder. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe two. Um, uh, at, at a push. Look, I'm happy. I'm happy um, to see Leparka anytime. Well, yeah. 1998 Leparka anyway. Yeah, um, uh, Disco not so much. Le- <laughs> Yeah, LaParca gets in the ring and immediately fucks a chair at <laughs> Disco Inferno, my hero. Living your dream. Uh, yeah, and uh, then uh, also immediately starts mocking his disco dancing, which I love. Uh, I <laughs> I love during this, which I'm sure was a personal slight on you for defending disco's dancing uh, in a previous episode of the show, Lee, that Tony buried the fact that neither of these men can dance. And I was appalled on behalf of LaParca, as I'm sure you were on behalf of the Disco I'm, Inferno. I'm appalled on behalf of both men. I'd like to see Tony Schiavone do do what Laparca does or do what Disco does. Uh, so yeah, Laparca fucks a chair at him, starts mocking his Disco dancing, and then punts him in the ribs <laughs> as hard as he fucking could. <laughs> I, uh, 
I like this. I just started laughing as soon as he did it. Yeah, 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 I nearly really dropped my pen out of my hand. I was laughing so hard. It was fantastic. Um, uh, unfortunately, after that, the match gets a bit slow and plodding, mm. particularly, again, after we've just had a half-hour clinic of how to open a pay-per-view from Booker T. Um, I did. I did. Kind of. I did like that. Tanae referred to La Parca as the stud from south of the border. Yeah. <laughs> I I wonder. Like, is it one of those things where commentators just try really hard to, you know, I've got I've got the new cool nickname, and they just try something, and I I really hope this isn't one that that sticks around because that is. Uh, <laughs> um. There there are light boring chants during this match, which I think like I wouldn't describe the match as bad necessarily but i think it suffers extremely as i said by comparison to the opening segment um match is kind of met as i said disco wins with the chair poster i don't really have anything else to add to that do you i i still not sure who was the heel and who was the face yeah i mean i just assume because he is a natural heel that uh disco is the heel Just because he's a heel um, to you doesn't mean he's a heel to everyone else. He's certainly a heel in life, that's for sure. <laughs> I won't, I won't um, dispute that one. Our next segment has Mean Gene chatting with James J. Dillon. Uh, speculation abound that he will be reinstating Nick Patrick on this show. And lo and behold, he reinstates Nick Patrick. Yeah. Nick Patrick comes out and, I, you know, I have a soft spot for Nick Patrick after the last few weeks. Um... And he he really like celebrates like he's won the world title himself. The idea of being reinstated says it's the best day of his life. Uh, cuts a promo about how he wants to thank all the fans that supported him as the fans boo the shit out of him, um, and that he'll be delighted to call the main event down the middle. But JJ has news: he will not ref the main event. I love the presumption. This is a great little bit of a little note about the the heel Nick Patrick character that he's so entitled he assumes that being reinstated from suspension immediately inserts him as the the official for the main event. Well, he was the head referee of WCW. As he points out himself. Um, Uh, I I, I did think this was the most Kenny Powers celebration you will ever see before he's bounding down. Oh, it was pure Kenny fucking Powers, man. And it ends the segment with, I, I think, also one of the lines of the night where he's just roaring at J.J. Dillon as he walks off saying, where's my back pay? <laughs> like, I mean, that that's what a real person would ask. <laughs> yeah. We had been teased just before this segment that there was a special added contest that hadn't been um, advertised before the pay-per-view. And here it is as Brad Armstrong faces Billy Big Time. Goldberg is here. Uh, this is the first time, I think, on our podcast where he is referred to by Bobby Heenan as the man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Goldberg, Becky Lynch, the, the great men of the sport. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just my feed, but WWE is fucking awful Goldberg music played instead of his awesome WCW team. Yeah, I believe it was the same for me. Yeah, if I if I recall correctly, I was disgusted, uh, and I was I was actually watching the show with uh, with Connor, my son, and he's looking at me like I didn't know he had this music in WCW. I was like, Nah, neither did I. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you're just you're just too sad to actually explain the the shite dubbing. Yeah, it 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 really it really bothers me some of the dubbing. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that 
some of the the knockoff music they want to get rid of or the fact that you know i get that from a creative standpoint like jericho's fed music is so much more iconic that you might want to overdub his his wcw music Mm -hmm. but at the same time all the original composed music in wcw they own they didn't have to dub over i I think it's like Um, they were too cheap to make a deal with jimmy hart basically yeah like it's 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 just baffling like at least sting's crow theme is intact uh even though they could they wouldn't let him have it in wwe but i'm not going to go on that rant again (laughs) um the the match is is i'll tell you what brad armstrong in phenomenal shape in this contest yeah i mean i'd rather he got a push than fucking jesse james (laughs) yeah indeed (laughs) um yeah, uh, did, I mean, this was perfect Goldberg, wasn't it? Uh, just comes mm. out, beats up a guy, Jackhammer leaves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was like one of the, uh, probably the worst of the single leg takedowns he's done. I, I did like the setup, like into a full Nelson, then a trip from behind. I, I, yeah. I liked it. Um. They, he hits my one of my favorite Goldberg spots, the 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 gorilla pe- press power mm-hmm. slam, so good. Um, what else have we got here? Pump handle two uh, Yeah, as soon as soon as he hits that, the crowd just completely erupts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad hits his side Russian leg sweep, which, as Brain explains, has finished many a man back in the day. And Goldberg immediately gets up and no sells it. I know that's uh, oft a critique of uh, Goldberg that the no selling of other people's big moves, but you can't deny that in the moment it works mm-hmm. a treat on, on the crowd. They absolutely go crazy for it. <laughs> He gets Brad for a pump handle slam and just tosses him overhead, and I scream. I love the, the commentator's reaction. He is just like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. <laughs> and it just it looked awesome. Uh, I would I would describe the spear as being a, a solid 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, jackhammer for the three count, as you say. Goldberg, the, the streak goes on for him. Uh, next we have one of the kind of better built feuds going into um, the pay-per-view mask versus title Juventud Guerrera versus Chris Jericho for the cruiserweight title and Hoobie's mask um, <laughs> I will say uh, very early in this match Hoovy hits an absolutely shite head scissors to the outside <laughs> <laughs> nearly kills Jericho <laughs> nearly kills Jericho uh, Jericho gets up, he hits him with a chop and Jericho falls like a felled tree in the woods <laughs> and it's it, the most unbelievably over the top playing possum of like he's dead and then all of a sudden lifts the head looks around like a cartoon, it was like sitting out of Looney Tunes you can hear the fans in the front row laughing as he's doing it <laughs> it was just per- like that. that's perfect Jericho, I mean it was just that's everything what 1998 Jericho was yeah, um as um, Hoovy gets out and throws him back in the ring because he realizes Jericho is trying to get counted out. Um, <laughs> as he throws him in, Jericho screams like a real shrill scream, which is amazing. Um, I I can't believe that Hoovy was twenty one when this match took place. Twenty one, isn't it? Like he was because that also means he's only just in his forties now. He was eighteen when he was in ECW. Mad, isn't it? Um. Hoovy goes to hit an air Hoovy while Jericho is kind of on the ramp and he nearly, very nearly falls short and just wipes out on the floor. Like he kind of, Jericho does a great job to sort of 
dupe down mm-hmm. and, and make it look good. Um, nothing else I really have to, to to add to that part of the match. There's a 450, a pin, but Jericho grabs the rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoovy thinks he's won. Jericho nearly catches him with a roll-up. Uh, then they do a bit of, some near falls. There's a bit of Hoovy awkwardness here again. He's a guy who, um, he goes for the spectacular, but oftentimes a lot of his fundamentals look a little bit shaky. Um, Jericho, in a really cool spot, reverses a Rana attempt into the Lion Tamer, and Hoovy verbally submits. Um, that was a great looking Lion Tamer, by the way. Yeah, it was. They're they're all great at this <laughs> stage of his career, because, again, he's in the Cruiserweight division, so he, he's wrestling a lot of guys who are physically smaller than him. Um so he's able to get that that high angle uh, lion tamer on them it's it's awesome yeah i'll agree with you it was like um it was a good not great match and coming in i would have expected a little bit more from both of them Mm. um but you know like it was fine for what it was and it paid off the feud jericho on the mic then he starts uh, taunting who he called quasi juice uh to remove his mask Hoovy sells it all so well like he looks in the camera and says I love you to his family um, and stuff like that he he takes off the mask and he's just a handsome young man <laughs> after all that build up that he's going to be this hideous disfigured uh, person under it it's such a shame that you know there, there's such a culture of homophobia in 90s wrestling and 90s wrestling fandom because I would have loved Jericho cutting a promo about how disappointed he was that he turned out to be a sexy man <laughs> I think Jericho could have made a lot of hay out of a promo like that. He could have got another month of promos about how I was promised that he was going to be hideous and I was going to embarrass him. Um, but now, I, now but, I know. want to give him the mask back. Like being all, yeah. Now I want to see if he's free for dinner. <laughs> the, the go-to was always uh, the Eddie Guerrero thing with the uh, where the luchadors rob his wallet and he has the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the go-to for somebody reacting to somebody losing their mask, I think. Yeah, oh, great stuff. Um I I think the nadir of this show is up next. Uh Mongo versus Bulldog, which you and your notes as we tweeted out at WCW Thunderpod, you wrote, "No." <laughs> and I wrote, "Oh dear." <laughs> and that was the match. Yeah, that was pretty much the match. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I really enjoyed uh, at the start of this match how Tony they were t- they, at this point because they didn't want to pay attention to this match. They were talking about the the NWO angles mm-hmm. and the Savage and the Lex uh, stuff from Thunder last week, uh, <laughs> and Tony wonders aloud if that that angle where Savage is beaten half to death and carried out the ring to be beaten some more on Thunder and the Go Home Show. Tony wonders if that would, and I quote, sit well with Randy Savage. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I didn't concentrate on this match at all. Even the commentary couldn't save me on this one. So I totally oh. missed that. <laughs> Spare a thought for poor Davy Boy in this match as well, who is bumping around like a crazy person for Mongo mm-hmm. to make him look a million dollars, and it's just shy. Uh, I did know that, that Davy worked over the hands of uh, Mongo. Yeah. Shades of Pete Dunne. Yeah, and there's a point. This is this culminates at a point where uh, Mongo takes the three point stance and kind of crumples up a little because his hand is fucked up, which makes me think: How much weight is he putting on his hand at the three point stance? Because from what I from what I understand about the three point stance is that you want to put like a fair bit of weight into your legs to give that 
push off so you can charge out at yeah, them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's doing it wrong if that's why he's putting yeah. all his weight. Um, I mean, this match did give us a shoot style Davy Davy Boy Smith. Yeah. Finishing the match with a Fujiwara armbar of all things. Fujiwara armbar and uh, a weird kind of Mongo didn't tap sort of situation. Because he is the um, Steve Austin of WCW, of course. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was fucking weird, and it makes me worry that this feud must continue. Um, let, anyway, let's let, let's let's get away from that shite. Benoit versus DDP rematch. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 yes. I just I smiled so much because I that as we talked about that has been the best match on Thunder, mm-hmm. best singles match on Thunder so far, and I felt robbed of a proper finish at a few more minutes at the end of that match um commentators down to serious business this was the the absolute if i was to pick a point in this show you're hearing us put over the commentary huge uh so far on the pay-per-view if you want a good crystallized version of that commentary it's during this match they are fucking brilliant uh, during that they talk about the, the this is one thing I really like and this could be the wrestling nerd in me because Lee both of us are are big fans of mat wrestling mm-hmm. and the kind of the, the human chess element uh, to the grap sometimes like we said we're big fans of Tim Thatcher we're big fans of Zack Sabre Jr. Daniel Maccabe lots of these kind of mat technicians Jonathan Gresham you know you name mm-hmm. them we're, we're fans of them here on the program um, but I have always loved when commentators break down moves yep fully agreed um and and they talk about the versatility of the diamond cutter and they're talking about how like every time we see page he just hits the diamond cutter from somewhere new there is no situation under which he cannot hit the diamond cutter and they talk about how it makes for a very interesting matchup because benoit needs the arm to lock in the cross face but if you're thinking strategically you need to stay away from Paige's arms because you get too close to his arms wham the diamond cutter hits you can come from anywhere mm-hmm. and then Brain's like Brain adds another layer to this again because just Brain is so fucking good during this match and he's talking about how but this is the problem this is how Paige beats you if you become obsessed with trying to how am I going to dodge the diamond cutter in this match that's exactly how Paige gets inside your head and beats yeah, you like, because they, they were spot on for this whole match I mean like you say they just go into the minute detail that you don't get anywhere else yeah. and it wasn't just one of them. it wasn't just Heenan it wasn't just Shivani it was Tanae as well they were all just they, yeah. they were perfect there was no NWO talk there was no talking yeah. about the main event it was just Benoit and DDP and breaking down exactly what both these guys bring to the table yeah and uh, they talk about how uh, the match tells you how and the commentary just fills in the mm-hmm. details like you wouldn't the commentary is so good but this shouldn't sell short how good the match is the match is telling these stories mm-hmm. um as we're watching it and the, the the commentary again it is color commentary they are just adding the color to the lines that are like already they, there it, it's, they talk about ddp who's who ordered a best of crisp and what compilation tape and and yeah. watched it and has what was it he says he has more video equipment than most tv studios yeah which kind of pays off in his wwf run then when he's recording the undertaker's message <laughs> uh, <laughs> again long-term storytelling here on days of thunder indeed excellent work um I, uh, so there the, was also one the, bit um sorry yeah. to interrupt you uh, mike there mike tenay puts over benoit has international title match experience but yet mm. this is his biggest u.s 
based match of his career yeah. so far and it's just the, the little stuff like that yeah. That, and they talk about how this might be one of Paige's biggest matches of his career mm. because he's gone and handpicked this opponent and it's huge for him to defend the US title. Like, he's made it such a prestigious belt and, and stuff like that. Like you said, yeah, it's just the detail they keep adding to mm-hmm. this. Um, the The story of the match, both in the ring and on the commentary, is how Benoit is maybe the best pure wrestler in WCW right now, but Paige has that killer finish, the diamond cutter, that you can never rule him out, even against more proficient wrestlers than him. And as you say as well, he's a student of the game, and they put over how he scouts his opponents relentlessly. And that also explains how he's able to hit the diamond cutter out of anywhere, because he's studying. You know, and there's a lot of kind of Benoit is going for his usual stuff, and and Page has him has him scouted quite well in this match. Uh, there's one point where Benoit escapes the cutter. He rolls out of the ring and kind of wastes a bit of time because he's kind of like, oh, holy shit, I nearly got caught in the cutter there. And the act of him rolling out of the ring and deliberately taking some time to go back in, Page loses his patience. Um, and starts just him and Penwell just start throwing bombs at each other and this is brilliant this is my favorite little bit of storytelling maybe on the whole show because the, the story turns at this point Benoit by escaping the cutter and ruining Paige's flow just as he was probably about to put Benoit away has thrown Paige off his game Paige isn't thinking now Paige is just reacting by throwing bombs at Benoit um and he he gets Paige in a sleeper. Mm-hmm. And this, again, another genius bit of commentary. They go down to the mat and they're explaining how Paige has, is going to take... Uh, he's gone down on his side instead of his back because by going down on his side, he gives himself a chance to fight out. But if he gave off his whole back to Benoit, that'd be lights out. Yeah, again, um, just the small little details. Um, before... But they, they also explain... Sorry, sorry to yeah, cut yeah. you off there again. The, the other part that they explain during the sleeper spot, which is incredible, and something that isn't explained... This is probably why a lot of people who got into wrestling by watching undercards during the 90s become such fans of, like, mat wrestling, as I said, because during this period of time, a lot of the strategy of mat wrestling is explained on commentary for somebody who, if this is their first pay-per-view, and they're like, why is Benoit hitting a sleeper? Um, they, they talk about how look, not every move in someone's arsenal is designed mm-hmm. to immediately beat someone one, two, three. As important as the crippler crossface is, the sleeper is just as important because it's wearing down um, your opponent to allow them to be vulnerable for the move that will finish I, be- I believe what they say is Benoit doesn't want this, like doesn't expect this this manoeuvre to finish the match, but it's given him a yeah. chance to think and Be- Brain says like he's already thinking four steps ahead. And with that, that's when Paige falls to the mat and they go, oh, wait, maybe it might end the match. And that's when you get the bit where it's like, oh, maybe Paige is going out. And again, it's just the storytelling. Initially, Benoit puts it on for a break and a think and think through a strategy. And then all of a sudden, oh, this is working. It might end the match. Yeah. Um, uh, I did want to say, like, early in, there was a point early in the match where um, DDP or Benoit goes for a, a suplex and Paige blocks it by yeah. hooking the leg. So, so yeah. Benoit just physically throws him into the ropes, uh, ribs first, mm. and I think it's less than a minute later. Page goes for a suplex himself, and Benoit blocks it. And instead yeah. of Page following up, it's Benoit that goes for the crossface. And I just love that it already establishes that Benoit is the better wrestler. He's yeah. thinking that bit further ahead than Page. Yeah, he's playing chess. Page is playing checkers. It, it, in, in that it, kind of exactly. Respect. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, back and forth as we head towards the end of this match, there's a cross face that DDP manages to get to the ropes. They trade near falls for a bit. This and uh, the finish of this match, I really like. Benoit goes for a standing backslide attempt. DDP flips him over into the diamond cutter and pins him. A fabulous pro wrestling match. Yeah. I fucking loved it. I shrieked for the finish. I didn't know it was coming yeah. at all. And again, I was watching it with Connor, and he just turned to me and went, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was so good i love this shit um then we move on to we had been promised on the go home thunder that we were going to get a significant update on the giant we didn't really get that did we like we were kind of expecting that we'd have a sit down interview with the giant or the giant would come out or something like that but uh we we just got a like an announcement yeah they, they, really. they said that the giant would be in attendance for the first time since sold out since the power bomb that could have been since the since the accidental shoot Ganso yeah. bomb since the power bomb that could have ended his career basically but um Shivani said he was uh passing out during the DDP Bama match that basically said Giant had had some travel issues I think a flight was cancelled or something like this and he wasn't going to get into California until Monday morning so yeah. um he would be on Nitro the next night not on the pay-per-view and yeah, instead, so. we got a lovely in memoriam video of the giant. Yeah. Like I, this is the first time I was kind of hamming it up as a bit of a joke. Ha ha ha! That video made it seem like giant died. This video absolutely made it seem like giant died, and they replayed, as I said, that accidental shoot Ganso bomb that mm-hmm. Bert fucking like. It really was a case of just rewatching it again, where. Nash couldn't get him up for the jackknife but instead of I'll just let him down gently and just go for it again just fucking dropped him folded up like an accordion Um, it was really gruesome but a memory pinged into my head around this time Um, have you watched much 98 Nitro in your day? Uh, bits and pieces I can't say I watched all the way through but definitely seen a good bit okay so it's in or around now and I looked it up on YouTube and you can actually just find the spot if you like to watch at some stage whether it's now or at your own leisure. Um, around now there is another Ganso bomb that happens in WCW. There's a match on Nitro. Uh, it's Booker T and Mortis and Booker T hits Mortis with an avalanche Ganso bomb off the top rope and it's one of the most fucking gruesome things I've ever seen like he prop oh my god he just smushes him on this Ganso bomb I I, I, I urge people to, to look it up it's whoa. I'm looking it up right now actually <laughs> yeah yeah you, you look it up and you, you react to that um as we head into our next match, which is uh, Savage versus our main man, Lex Luger. Um, in the crowd, Lodi Oh, Jesus has Christ! A... <laughs> Doesn't he kill him? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor Chris Canyon. <laughs> yeah, oh, what a man. What a man. Um, so yeah Lodi has a sign at first I thought it was just a random fan had a sign saying Benoit we knew you'd lose and I was like wow that is a that's a bit harsh but uh, no it was Lodi had the sign Um, Lodi who got more airtime on this show than Raven yeah Uh, Lex came out with uh, an amount of tape around his ribs that made uh, (laughs) DDP look like he was taking it easy with that girdle he had a few weeks ago. It was a preposterous amount of rib tape. He's very much the guy from uh, 
the lines he adds you know the whole you know I said put more put more weights on he said oh there is no more weights that was Lex on the tape yeah. I need more tape yeah, yeah. there is no more <laughs> yeah, yeah, he it was, oh, it was nips to balls. That's how he was covered in. Uh, covered did in did you catch that they played the Steiner's music before Lex's music? <laughs> yeah, that, uh, someone done fucked up in the booth. That's WCW, <laughs> indeed. Um, so Savage goes for Lex's ribs, obviously, uh, early and consistently throughout the match. Uh, this match largely. Uh, smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. uh, crowd bra- brawling uh, again kind of like the, the second match on the show um, the the La Parca disco match that had to follow the Booker T performance uh, following Benoit and DDP was no enviable task and these guys just kind of weren't up to it were they? No it was just a, again it was, a, it was a bit disappointing but also it's 1998 Randy Savage so I'm not sure what to be expecting um, yeah and look, as a personality, he's he's amazing. But yeah, he kind of a, a spent force uh, in the ring at this point. I, I did like that Bobby Heenan throughout the match was mentioning that Savage was pacing and didn't seem like he was fully focused on Luger. So like yeah. he was almost expecting something to happen. Um, I think it's also worth noting that uh, Savage came out to the NWO music and was wearing black and white, but there wasn't a sign of an NWO logo at all on his gear. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny how they're really trying to make this most dangerous man in wrestling thing happen <laughs> for Randy Savage, which is funny because you consider the parallel 1998 WWF and Ken Shamrock being the world's most mm-hmm. dangerous man, and that motherfucker was believably the world's most dangerous man. Uh, like I was in uh, Oberhausen for WXW 16 Carat this year and he was announced at that show as being a guest for the Superstars of Wrestling show later in the year and even just his music ringing out in the turban on Hala I was still terrified <laughs> 21 years after this pay-per-view took place whereas Randy Savage believably an insane person that's for sure I, I will grant you crazy man if ever there was one um but I'm not buying him as the most dangerous man in wrestling. I'm sorry. No, well, sure wasn't it in like was it 1997 that ABC had a, a basically a documentary calling Ken Shamrock the world's most dangerous man, and that's where the nickname came from. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, fair play to them. They're really playing it up that he's pretty much mental, but world's most dangerous man, he is not. Uh, the NWO come out, of course. Uh, the match is called off. Lex and Savage fight off the NWO and then Lex, Lex attacks Savage, puts him back in the torture rack, uh, at which point uh, Hogan calls off the troops and says he deserved to lose and just leaves Randy Savage suffering in the torture rack as the segment but, ends. See, the match wasn't called off. It was an ODQ match. The bell rings as soon as the NWO start getting involved and Luger and Savage fight him off. And then Luger puts Savage back in the rack and they announced Luger as the winner. Really? Yeah. Because that is not made clear. Oh yeah, that that's what happens. So I think it I just assumed the way that the referee was acting and the way everything just kind of fell apart. I was like, oh the match got called. I know off. the referee definitely called for the bell when the guys started trying to get in the ring and Luger and Savage are fighting yeah. them off. And the bell one hundred percent rings. It's just then Hogan calls them back when he sees that Luger has put him back in the wreck and they mm. go to a replay and you see Savage given the verbal or the verbal tap out and yeah they announced Luger as the winner 
we move on then, speaking of NWO uh, drama. Uh, we've got the tag title match as the Outsiders with Dusty Rhodes defend against the Steiners with Ted uh, DiBiase. Um, this, there's not much to this match really, is there? It, it just served a story. There's entrances and a turn. That's basically what this match is. Um, I think, obviously, we try not to look too much into what happens on Nitro and not knowing you know, what happens on the pay-per-views, but I think this is such a monumental turn that we both knew what was happening here. Yeah, yeah, we we kind of, this is one of those from our reading of Death of WCW back in the day or, or like the bits I remember from when I was a kid because this is, this is before I start watching Nitro regularly, but I think maybe at this point from magazines or whatever, I am aware of WCW. Or just if, you know, you turn on the network and the thumbnail has Scott Steiner lifting up yeah. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's mm. arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a bit of a spoiler. Um, so yeah the match had started off with they they kind of point out about how like continuing that uh, bubbling of discontent between the Steiners um, that it's usually Scott that starts the match and then Rick comes in for the hot tag but Rick started this uh, he cleaned house but then Scott turns on him and joins the NWO uh, I think it was pretty well done like they were doing their usual poses and everyone was doing the, the barking along with the dog face mm-hmm. gremlin and then just Scott hits him with the axe handle and starts beating him and there's a moment of genuine pure shock the crowd it takes them a second to react because they just even though we with the benefit of hindsight knew it was coming they i think they were still shocked and obviously knowing it was coming i was i was kind of watching scott's reactions and his mannerisms yeah and it's one of those when you know the turn is coming it's like you know the you pick up on the the little things yeah, it's the old pearl of like when Shawn Michaels is in a feud, you're always watching where he's got his right foot positioned because mm-hmm. um, you know the super kick is coming. Uh, and it was one of those, yeah, you're you're watching to see what position Scott is putting himself in because you know it's like coming. even getting into the ring, he just kind of he walks very solemnly to the center of the ring to do the pose, and then you see him give the wink, and you just know that's it. Like, um, I thought it was a really good turn, really memorable. Yeah. Uh, really good and just at the start of this I'm excited to see the evolution of this Scott Steiner character knowing what he's about to become and the bromance with him and uh, Bagwell yeah uh, really excited for that uh, <laughs> uh, he's got in fair, Rick in fairness to him is put over huge here as a valiant baby face because they, he turns on him they pin him he kicks out he still wants to keep fighting um, Scott hits an outsider edge with, with uh, Scott uh, Steiner taunting Rick from the outside mm-hmm. as he's up in the outsider edge um, and that's for the three count uh, my favourite part of this whole match and one of my favourite parts of the show is that Scott Steiner is physically unable to do a two sweet <laughs> See this, like where they're, they've got the 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 fingers pursed to do the the two sweet, and he's just hitting them with his clothes. Yeah, fist. I know that as well. That obviously he he didn't practice this at all because I mean it's one of those you know the way people like in schoolyards try to do the live long and prosper Vulcan salute thing, yeah. and not everybody actually can separate the two middle fingers that easily. Mm-hmm. That seems like a thing where he just never in his life extended those fingers in that way and just couldn't do it. And yet most wrestling fans now, even just listening, will know exactly. Their fingers will just instantaneously go to that position. Uh, Next, 
And I'm going to actually, probably for the first time in this program, insert uh, an audio drop if I can find it. Please, please don't. What, what in the name of sweet fuck was this uncensored video? I'm not watching that pay-per-view. I'm not. No. <laughs> we are. You're making me watch Martina and Glenn Gilberti. We've got to watch WCW Uncensored. What the fuck? How would you describe this promo for next month's pay-per-view? awful fucking awful (laughs) this was the most room full of das thinking what is cool in 1998 without actually consulting anybody sort of promo the only part that was good is when they mentioned trash when it was over (laughs) well that as well but when they mentioned trash in the rap they put up a still of the public enemy that was it that was the only positive i took from it all um this was like do you remember PG Tordain or they were the rappers in the uh, Nation of Domination and they oh, used yeah. to use the raps to get heat basically mm-hmm. and th- this this yeah. what this was a couple of white boy rappers talking about WCW and I, I was so shocked I didn't even take any notes on what they were saying it was just awful it was just grim grim that's for sure um Buffer is out, Michael Buffer is out, which means it's already time for the main event. At which point, I don't know if you had the same reaction I did, Lee, but I was like, fuck, this show has flown mm-hmm. by. 100%. Well, apart from Mongo. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's time for Sting versus Hogan, the greatest rematch in the history of our sport. Um, we get our cool Sting Crow music, but Hogan jumps him during his entrance, uh, uh, starts hitting him with the strap. I was just going to say... During that, Sting kind of runs the last little bit to the ring while Buffer is still doing his introduction. And I have to say, Michael Buffer, ever the professional, continues doing the introduction of Sting whilst yeah. while leaving the ring. Yeah, what and a he guy. still gets a spot well, on. Well, he's getting he's, he's getting fucking paid enough. <laughs> Although I will say, so many of the contrived lines of just describing these guys as they're coming to the ring, oh, I cringe so hard. I didn't realize that Sting is Hogan's arch rival. Yeah. Oh, it's so... Uh, man, I don't know. I, I think he called Hogan was a Sting's nemesis. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was... Yeah, mm. it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Hogan jumps Sting as soon as he gets into the ring, as I said. Um, hit Hitting him with the strap, dominating the match early. Um, Hogan gets too cocky, uh, taunting after beating Sting down, and Sting takes the upper hand bit of a walk and brawl here again it's just kind of it's a classic wcw story of a kind of paint by numbers main event or plotting main mm-hmm. event after a, a bit of a crack and undercard uh, and it kind of pales in comparison to some of the in-ring work earlier on in the evening i, um, I didn't enjoy that hogan was pretty much on top for a lot of the match it, it was yeah. very slow and i mean i guess <laughs> do you want to see Hogan selling for 10 or 12 minutes uh, I suppose either like it's lesser of two evils I guess maybe but um, 
What did you make of uh, Sting's all black gear before he had the scorpions on the? I've always personally preferred the scorpions on yeah, it. Um, I, I, for the crow character, uh, the the initial run of the crow character, I do like the plain black. I think it's simple, and when they want to, it, it makes sense for the character. Um, to be just in all black and not to have like fancy logos on anything because mm. that's not what he's about. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of am spoiled by how cool uh, the Scorpion gear is. Um, yeah, Hogan gets put in the death lock here towards the end of the match. Hogan gets the rope, uh, uh, but holds onto it for too long. Uh, Little Nate kicks his hand off the ropes. Uh, at which point Sting goes to hit the Stinger splash and uh, the ref gets pulled in the way out comes Nick Patrick and I was like oh are we getting shenanigans again Uh, Nick Patrick comes out um, Hogan hit the leg drop Hogan hit Mm -hmm. the leg drop hits the fucking slowest two count like if he fuck fuck the three count last month his Nick Patrick's counting is so fucking weird. It's so different to every other referee. It's so, like, I, I don't know, he just doesn't, like, he. the arm is kind of bent in towards him, and he's kind of patting them, it's a weird cadence, mm-hmm. and it's, everything about it is just seems pretty unnatural. Um, and I, I can't say I'd ever noticed it as much as I did during this match, Um and that's probably because, like, with the the stuff off Starcade and all that, that I'm I'm paying attention mm-hmm. more to his his counting now. Um, so yeah, he Patrick pulls Hogan off of Sting. Um, there's an interesting point here where like it seems like Nick Patrick is trying to call it down the middle, and Hogan is like, "But it's me, it's me," uh, implying even further that at one point Nick Patrick was in the pocket yeah. of Hulk Hogan. Um, what what did you make of Hulk Hogan's world's slowest schoolboy roll up? Oh, it was mortifying. <laughs> I've seen glaciers move quicker. Oh my god, it was it was poor to say the least. It was as if it had been slowing down, mm-hmm. as if he was doing this roll up in treacle. Um Padre, yeah, Padre pulls Hogan off Sting. Uh, Sting hits two stinger splashes and a scorpion death drop. Uh, in I think maybe my favourite Hogan spot I've seen on the show so far on the way down he kicks his leg out and knocks Patrick over uh, and injures his arm Uh, the NWO comes out Sting valiantly fights off the NWO uh, and during this kind of palaver where I had kind of in the back of my head going oh well this is it like it's just the NWO out and this is all over Savage comes out with a spray paint can KOs Hogan and Sting wins yeah, uh, not quite the triumphant if he had just pinned him after two splashes and a death drop. It was really anticlimactic, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, like the, I, the... I, I feel like they should have just, after what they did with the Nick Patrick and everything, they should have just given him the, the win. Like, Hogan was on offense for most of the match. He dominated Sting. Sting gets a slight comeback, and he still can't beat Hogan. Cleanly, like yeah. like I know he got the pin and he got to spray paint Hogan and that was kind of like the payoff, but yeah. it really didn't start off. Not that they could have after Sarkade, but it really didn't start off as Reign as champion at all. Well, mm. um, it was just like it was a spray paint can. I mean, not that I've been hit with many of them, but I can't imagine it would KO <laughs> anyone. 
Yeah. Uh, but look, they 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 got over the line. They put the belt on the guy who they should have put the belt on. So at least they got there, you know. Even though it's by means, I would not have it w- gone for myself. It was a disappointing end to what I thought had been a really good pay per view in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose that's where we should go now. So that's that's the end of the pay per view roll credits, and I still get tickled by the fact that WCW pay per views had end credits. <laughs> um, but tell me your overall thoughts on the pay per view then. I really enjoyed it. Um, the hot start with the two Booker matches, the the DDP Benoit match, which I think is the best match we've de- we've seen anyway in the history of the podcast so far. Um, mm. Jericho Hoovy was was okay. Um, the Goldberg squash was everything you want a Goldberg squash to be. Yeah, the Steiner turn again a very memorable moment, if not a good match. But I mean, everything else was kind of like yeah. yeah it was there it was fine you know yeah um yeah i would be inclined to agree i really enjoyed the pay-per-view i thought it was a much improved outing from snickers sold out um the the show flew by at a clip this this pay-per-view broadcast flew by more than every episode of thunder so far um nice everything that should have been given time was given time uh, as we remarked on earlier, there was one backstage segment this whole show, and it was about twenty or thirty seconds mm-hmm. long, um, which is incredible. You know, when you, as I said, when you think about what this company becomes, the the fact that in an entire broadcast they only do one backstage segment, and I think that JJ Dillon, um, was on- that JJ Dillon segment was like the only proper interview promo segment. Like I know there was the brief Scott Hall promo before their match, but that was about it, really. Like everything, everything um, else was thrown to the announcers, and they just kind of set set you up for the next match or whatever. Yeah, and um, the stuff I didn't like, with the exception of the Mongo and Davy Boy match, all the rest of the stuff that wasn't great didn't outstay its welcome. Mm. You know. Um, the Steiners Outsiders match lasted just exactly as long as you needed they just did the the story stuff uh, and got it over with and I'm much less annoyed about a match that the bell rings and immediately they do the storyline stuff and it's over rather than if they had had a, like a good 10-12 minute match that I got invested in and then they pulled the rug out from under you um, at least they didn't waste my time they got in did what they needed to do and got yeah, out like, so I appreciate that it wouldn't that. have made any sense for Scott to fight Hall and Ash for 10 minutes before turning on yeah. Rick, you know, so did, that that was very well done. Yeah, and with the exception of, as I said, that Mongo match and the the decision with the finish in the main event, the right guy won, but in the wrong way. Uh, I really like this pay per view. Mm-hmm. Lee, give me your winners and losers of this show. Uh, winner of the show is Booker T. Mm-hmm. I he this was a star making night for him. Um, yeah. Also, DDP and Benoit have to be mentioned because. That was such a stellar match that Botman came out with yeah. such credit. Like, um, I don't think there's anyone else that comes close really to those three. Yeah, uh, I would absolutely, I, I would absolutely concur with um, Booker, DDP, Benoit, and I would say the WCW commentary team as my winners, um, uh, and as my losers, um, Mongo. <laughs> All of us for having to sit through Mongo and Bulldog. Yeah, yeah, that that's for sure. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for Super Brawl 8 here at Days of Thunder. Thanks very much for listening to and downloading uh, the podcast. Uh, welcome once more to our new 
Thunder Buddies coming over from Pro Wrestling Only. As I said at the top of the program, we are delighted to be here. We come to you once every two weeks with a new episode. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us at WCW Thunder Pod on Twitter. Uh, individu- individually on Twitter, I'm at the Day to Dave, and Lee is at Malone underscore seven one three. We'd love to continue the chat on there, mm-hmm. uh, and we do sometimes post. Uh, a few thoughts here or there as we're watching programs and we, we like to interact with the Thunder Buddies and, and anybody who has thoughts on the programs on the Tweet Machine and it's a good place to, to keep an eye out for when our, our next podcast comes up so please subscribe to us follow us on Twitter and uh, subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network to get us and all the other great podcasts that come up on, on the website um, we'll be back in two weeks discussing episode 8 of WCW Thunder but until then take a drink relax it's all over for now this is an excellent pay-per-view it is not going to stay this excellent please don't raise your expectations but we will just hope to entertain you as we continue along uh, we'll see you in two weeks goodbye yeah, it's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder Breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you